Apparently, my grandparents saved all of the letters that uh, I sent to them over uh, my childhood, and uh, my, uh, my parents were reviewing my grandparents' effects and stumbled upon uh, these old letters, and they sent them to me. It was a very nice uh, walk down a memory lane. I was touched that, to know that uh, my grandparents saved these uh, mementos uh, from my childhood and uh, to them. So. It's a very uh, pleasant walk uh, down, that, down that journey of memory lane. The, uh, my letters had a pretty predictable format. Um, starting at age four or five, however old I was when mom and dad said, you have to write to mom and dad. So they would always begin with uh, thank you for, so apparently the only reason I ever wrote to grandparents was a thank you for something. So thank you, grandpa, grand, uh, grandma for, Started, started at $5, went to $10. I think the, the, the cap was thank you for the $20 gift, or $20 um, uh, gift. I'd always tell them a little bit of what I was going, intended to do with this uh, gift. I'm going, saving it for a bicycle. And then there always was some thank you for the visit, or we look forward to seeing you again. And there's probably about 40 letters, and with no exaggeration, that's the format. Thank you, this is what I'm going to do, look forward to seeing you. But at the close, the only place there was some uh, variation, some flexibility was in this, what you just kind of call adiaphora, where you're signing off the note, you have all this blank space where you feel obliged to say something, and so there was a few random notes about, well, we won our soccer game, uh, my girlfriend broke up with me, or just some, some little notes about life. And so whether the format is fine, it's good to see that, but the, the fun part was to go back and see what was going on in uh, my life and the life of my family at these various stages. We're at the close of Colossians chapter, uh, we're in chapter 4, and we can get to the end of these letters and sort of write it off. Matter of fact, uh, the heading in my Bible of chapter 4 says, further instructions and then, verse 7, final greetings. It's almost as if the biblical, the people who put those uh, little markers are asking you to just check out at that stage. We shouldn't. It's in these little, these closing remarks that we find a lot of great detail about the life of the church. In Paul's letters, like my letters to uh, Paul is the author here, and he's actually the author of most of the letters in the New Testament, he follows a very similar format just like I follow, followed a format from my parents or from my grandparents. He always begins with some sort of doctrinal statements about who Jesus is. It's that way we saw that in Colossians. Uh, some of the most glorious and wonderful statements about Christ are found in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Then, about halfway through in this letter and in most of Paul's letters, he moves on to practice. So from what we believe, doctrine, to how we practice. And we've been considering that for about two weeks as well. Put on kindness. Put on compassion. All right? So we move from doctrine to practice. And now, as uh, that pattern is, is very common, and now we've come to the conclusion, and there's these little adiaphora, Almost as if the Apostle Paul has some white space on his parchment, and you feel like he's just got to fill it up. Don't miss it. Don't skip over it, because in these little uh, closing remarks and final instructions, we get a real sense of what the church looked like, of its daily activities, of what their priorities were, in the same uh, way that 
that's, those uh, little details in my letters to my grandparents showed a little bit of what life was really like. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at these final verses. As you, you will notice that uh, our reader, uh, miss, or not Missy, uh, per my request, did not read the, uh, uh, some of the lengthy greetings at the middle of, of this chapter. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Paul's final word of encouragement. That's in verses 2 through 4. And we're going to note what he asks for, or pardon, not encouragement, request. We're going to note a final request from the Apostle Paul. Then we're going to see his final word of encouragement. We're going to see that in verses 5 and 6. And then in verse 7, we're going to see the, uh, the final greetings and introductions. And through each of these little details, we're just given an insight as to what the church was like. What was its nature? What were their priorities? What were they focused on? And we're doing this walk down memory lane, not just to make this observation about the church as it once was. No, of course not. We're going to make these observations about what the church once was so that by God's grace we'll be inspired for what the church can be today. All right? So let's jump right in. The final request from the author, the Apostle Paul, is this. Continue steadfastly in prayers, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Pray, verse 3, pray also for us. Now, that us is a plural pronoun. It's a reference to the Apostle Paul, who is the author, as well as the men and women who share in the leadership of the church. We're going to actually see those very people as we come to the end. But there's a plural leadership body. And the Apostle's first request is you church, pray for us in leadership. It's very important that the church be praying for those people who have responsibility for leadership in it. I don't know if you're aware, but there's a group of people that gather for, uh, at 9.30 every morning to pray for the church, to pray for the leadership of the church, to pray for the preaching of the, of, uh, that comes from this pulpit. It's very good for us to pray for the leaders of the church. Now let's note what they pray for, what the request is to pray, uh, the prayer request is for. Following along, pray that God may open for us a door for the word. Interestingly, the Apostle Paul is writing this from prison. So it's no lack of irony that from prison, he says, does not ask for a prayer for the door for his own personal freedom to be opened, no, he asked for the door for the word to be opened. Very interesting, isn't it? So that he may declare the word of Christ, pardon me, to, so that the door for the word may be opened to declare the mystery of Christ, verse 4, that I may make it. Now look up, don't look at the text, and what would you, what is the word that you would use to fill in that blank? If you had one aspiration for the preacher on Sunday morning, what would that aspiration be? That the word may be what? Well, if you are probably the age, below the age 15, your prayer is that the word may be brief. <laughs> what, what would you pick? What, what should you hope for? What should you pray for? from the pulpit of the church. That the preacher would be charismatic, convicting, biblical, that he would be uh, inspiring and compassionate and relevant. 
all those things are great. God willing, there are things that we experience here. But just note with me that the one thing that the Apostle Paul asks prayer for, for his ministry of proclamation, is what? Make it clear. You see that? That I may make the Word of God clear. Now that prayer request only makes sense. And by the way, clarity doesn't mean articulation. Not that I enunciate. Enunciation is perfectly good. It's not a prayer that his outline would be orderly and have three points that all start with the letter C. Although there will be three points, nothing wrong with that. His focus is on uh, Jesus Christ not being obscured. That the word of God, that the mystery of Christ would be revealed. Recall a couple of weeks ago we saw that Jesus was God's hidden mystery. Well, how is God's hidden mystery revealed? Well, it's through the pulpit ministry is one of the primary ways, not the only way by any stretch of the imagination. So, this request for, from the church to pray for the leaders of the church in their pulpit ministry to be clear only makes sense if there is a temptation for what? To not be clear. It only makes sense that this person behind this pulpit would say, please pray that I may be clear, unless there's a temptation that we could fudge, make it fuzzy, to obscure Jesus. Sadly, there are many examples, and we don't have to look too very far to find numerous examples of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, those basic principles being made obscure. One negative example one follow, followed by one positive example. Several, several years ago, there was an individual close to us who passed away, actually close to uh, my wife and uh, the two eldest kids. And uh, so Jennifer and my wife took our children, the eldest, to this funeral. Uh, and the person at the end stage of their life had done everything absolutely right, had renewed their faith, renewed their, uh, just had, had walked through those final stages exactly how you would want to. And it was a Christian funeral. She had made, renewed her commitments to her faith, done everything right. Sadly, during the service, the preacher may use this phrase frequently, wherever she is. So the closing benediction was, we take consolation or take comfort in the fact that the deceased, wherever she is, will be with us always. And that phrase stuck out like a sore thumb. And uh, to such an extent that one of uh, my daughters looked up and said, you know, why, doesn't, why don't they know where she is? Why, why are they making it fuzzy? Why do they not know that through the mercies of Christ, right, the souls of the, of the departed rest in peace this day? Why make it hard? You see, there's a temptation that we all pe pre we're all people pleasers, every one of us. And I imagine that preachers are more so than most. And so there's a temptation to sort of make following Jesus a little bit less challenging, to make his, his uh, to just fudge just a little bit. And look, if the Apostle Paul, who saw the resurrected Christ, 
who wrote the majority of the New Testament needs the prayers of the church so that he may be clear, you better believe the rest of us mere mortals need it all the more. Do you pray for the preacher? If you do, what do you pray for? Pray that he might be clear that uh, the good news of Jesus Christ, who fully reveals the love of God, who in his death offers salvation to the world, this received by faith, that that would be, above all else, clear. So the, the positive, uh, one negative example, one positive example, show of hands, who's heard Billy Graham? Who's heard Billy Graham live? All right. So I've only heard him through uh, recordings. And I have to say, the, the power of Billy Graham's preaching is not in his profundity. It's not like he's opening the Bible and showing us things that we've never, ever seen before. No, he's basically giving kind of youth group talks. But his strength is in his clarity. Would that be true of every pulpit? I hope you know this is no uh, inflation of the importance of a preacher, certainly myself. It's to prioritize what happens here at the pulpit. Lord Moran was a medical officer in World War I. He kept a detailed diary of behavior of men under stress in battle. And he wrote that wars are won by the courage and endurance of the few who are like rafts to which the rest of humanity clings for support and for life. It is they who set the standard for victory. Well, friends, the pulpit is the life raft, or it's certainly a life raft for the church. And in the Apostle Paul's day and in our day, this person in this pulpit needs your prayers so that the word of God, the mystery of Christ, is made clear. The raft to which the rest of us cling. So we move on from the request. Now we move on to a final word of encouragement. Verses 5 and 6. So we move from pray for us to now an encouragement for you. Let's note this encouragement. You walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to, you ought to answer each person. The final word of encouragement orients the church towards their relationship with outsiders, towards your relationship with outsiders. Rather than the clarity from the pulpit ministry that is a request uh, on Sunday mornings, your relationship with the world is, is uh, marked by salt, uh, by a distinctive lifestyle, walk in wisdom, and distinctive speech. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. I imagine this is not new ideas for many of us. This idea that Jesus calls you and me you and I, salt and light, We're probably familiar with that, that describes our relationship uh, to the world. I came across two great examples uh, this past week from the life of our church. Two people who were living in a distinct fashion or using a language that was salty uh, in front of those who are outside, in front of the outsiders. Now, did you note that word? walk in wisdom in front of outsiders, that's in reference to people who don't know Christ, who are not a part of the church. And so, two quick examples. 
The first example was from a gentleman who has been frequenting the same restaurant for about 30 years. And over those 30 years, he's developed a friendship with the waiter. Now, this waiter happened to fall on hard times, fell on uh, very hard times, health concerns, which led to financial concerns, and no exaggeration to state that the, the wheels were very quickly coming off of his life. And so this friend, this member of the church, reached out to the waiter, who has now become a good friend, and offered a little bit of financial assistance. Very generous, nothing, not extravagant, but just a little bit of help to carry him through. And as this person offered that kind gift, this person said to this waiter, who happened to be from a kind of a Buddhist background, this person said, I just want you to know that in uh, difficult times, I have found the consolation of my Christian faith to be very helpful. That was it. It wasn't a sermon. <laughs> Who's that phrase? Not a sermon, just a thought. That was just a thought. All right, there, was, there was no arm twisting. Uh, there was no, you want to pray with me now? No, it was, it was just a simple, kind act followed by a gracious word. Second example. So on Monday night, um, Jennifer and I were at Ramparts watching the wheels come off of America's aspirations for the World Cup. I don't know if anyone's uh, just tragic. Um, and while we're at Ramparts, the server, notice all my examples are sort of restaurant-oriented this morning. The server was having a conversation with a table next to us. And we were privy, we were close enough that we could hear, and the server mentioned this conversation turned towards, for some reason, bread. In particular, Great Harvest uh, Bread Company, which is, uh, shares the same complex as uh, Ramparts. And uh, the owners and operators of Great Harvest Bread Company are, are members of this church. And so Jennifer and I were just a little, a more, a, more than a little bit curious as to follow the conversation so we did a little bit more than eavesdropping. And we noticed, um, so the, the conversation turned to the quality of the product, and that was all very encouraging. And then came up the fact that, you know, they close on Sundays. Why would they do that? And it's no exact, they, Jennifer and I were just kicking each other under the table because, like, I know. <laughs> And this is the quote. Uh, you can uh, run it by Jennifer. Uh, honest to truth, the quote was, well, it must be one of those Chick-fil-A things. <laughs> so I don't know if you are this case, but every time we're on a trip, we usually travel on Sunday. We only eat out on Sundays. We only eat fast food on Sundays. So we always think, great, we can go to Chick-fil-A. Shoot, they're closed. <laughs> I, I imagine I'm not the only person with that sort of love-hate relationship with their principled uh, decision. <laughs> Here's the really interesting thing about this conversation, and, and the previous conversation as well, is that somebody noticed. Like, it was literally a two-minute conversation debating why this company would lose so much revenue by closing on Sundays. 
You see, both of those examples are just a little bit of salt, one through a, a generous act and a gracious word, and the other by a principled decision that sort of set them apart. And both have this effect of, doing, of, of whetting the appetite. Huh, there's some flavor I didn't quite expect. Do you see? Sometimes we think about the missionary life of the church to which you and I are all incorporated in, and it seems about as pleasant as, as drinking poison. But I just want us to see here are two normal people, two normal Christians, having two very normal interactions, one from a, I've already described the, what they've done, but it's just normal good stuff to do that you can do as well. Walk in wisdom and speak with grace. It's a great joy to be involved in the lives of others for the sake of Christ. It's a great joy to swim against the tide, to stand out just a little bit, to be marked as distinctive in one's lifestyle, characterized by wisdom, distinct in one's language, seasoned with salt. So that's the second thing we learn about this young church. Their missionary zeal of every member. Third and finally, let's observe the, the, this great fellowship, this great body that, that existed here. Or the, the, uh, I'll get to that point, but uh, observe with me the, the list of names that we find as we turn the page. Look at verse 7. I count 10 names. Tychius. Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Jesus called Justice, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, Nymphia. Each one of these individuals had a, a different role. Some were sent as messengers to share how the church was going. Some were had the ministry of prayer. Nymphia had the ministry of opening her house and hosting a church in her own home. I began this sermon by uh, drawing our attention to the, how essential clarity is from the pulpit. And I want to simply conclude by saying that the ministry of the pulpit in isolation is woefully insufficient for the nurture of any church body. Because just like here, it takes a village. It takes Aristarchus. It takes Demas. It takes Epaphras, laboring in prayers. It takes the body. It takes each one of you. I want us to reckon and wrestle with the fact that spiritually significant conversations ought to be a normal part of the life of the church, that we all have a role in encouraging one another on towards maturity. It's not, it is woefully inadequate if your only source of encouragement is a 20-minute sermon, maybe 25, on a Sunday morning. No, you need one another. You need to hear from testimonies like we heard last Sunday. You need to participate in prayer at the rail. 
You need to have other people. We need to speak into other people's lives in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Let me just offer a little easy on-ramp that I think we can find in this passage to having spiritually significant conversations within the church body. Look at the example of Tychius. Tychius, now he's going to do two things. He's going to be a courier sent from the author, the Apostle Paul, and he's going to do two things. He's going to first tell you about all his activities, all the activities going on. So he's going to tell you what is happening, what they're doing, and then in verse 8, he is going to pass on not only what is happening, what they are doing, but how they are doing. I think that's a good formula for us. You see, the activities, what you're doing, that's on one level, but you tell me not just what, but tell me how. You see, that gets a little bit below the waterline. And small group ministries, personal testimonies from church, prayer ministry, following worship. These are all ways that we can just dip a little bit beneath the water level to from what you're doing, the activities, to how you're doing. So there it is. Three observations we can make from uh, this, what at first blush looks like a little bit of just space filler. We can observe from the past, the, the Apostles Paul's final request, we can observe the importance of the clarity, uh, the importance of clarity from the pulpit, that the mystery of Christ would be clearly revealed. We can observe from these final encouragement, the missionary zeal of every member who lived out their faith in front of the watching world, walking with wisdom, seasoning their speech with grace. And finally, we can observe this rich communion of interconnected relationships, a web of support and encouragement, more like a family than any type of program in which each person had a role in every other person's nurturing their faith. So, let's pray that this pulpit that whoever stands behind here, that this pulpit would be known above all for its clarity, that the mystery of Christ would not be obscured. Let's take up our missionary calling to walk in wisdom before outsiders. And with joy, take our place in this chaotic web of relationships known as the church family as we encourage one another. Amen.